It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Welcome. Welcome to the heart of Jesus. Second Peter says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We've spoken recently much about these precious promises. Remember that the promises of God are open to you to participate in the divine nature. It's what gives us life in Jesus. It's the living, breathing word of God. Psalm 34, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Just to stop here for a moment. Those who look, when you're looking for Jesus, you're opening your heart to him. You're pouring it out. You're repenting of your sin. You're spending time in the prayer closet. You're standing by faith. It's not a casual looking. Oh, Lord, where are you? I'm looking for you. No, no, no. It's stopping everything. And when you do that, when you stop everything for Jesus to look for him, your face will never be covered with shame. Verse 6, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. When I looked this up, the angel of the Lord, even though it's written in the singular here, many have said that it's really an army or platoon of angels that encamp around you and deliver you from all of your fears. It's not one angel that encamps. It's an army. Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, you his holy ones, you who are set apart for Jesus. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. This is a reminder who Jesus is right here. Jesus is our father. 
our kind, compassionate, loving, disciplinarian Father. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Keep your tongue from evil, from bitterness, from grumbling and complaining because things are so hard, from harboring that anger. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace. Stop fighting and quarreling. Stop the strife. Walk in humility. The only way to constantly seek peace is by keeping a covenant relationship with Jesus. And when I look that word peace up, it said that exact thing. To keep peace and pursue it on a daily basis, on a moment-to-moment basis, it's standing and making a covenant with Jesus. And if you've, if you've made that covenant and you've found that if you're really honest, you're really not keeping that peace, go back and renew, repent of what you need to and renew that covenant and stand by faith and ask Jesus to come with power because it's in him. It's in his power. It's by the blood of Jesus that we can stand. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Walk in a way. Lord, make me righteous. Lord, open the gates of righteousness to me. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Jesus will save you as you stay under him and you don't rise up. No matter what the pain is, no matter what the struggle, no matter if it seems like you're going to die because you can't pay the rent or you can't, you, you have this health issue, you're in physical pain, your marriage may be falling apart. Or you may be waiting for that partner that you so desperately are pleading with Jesus for. Jesus saves those who are crushed. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. No one will perish who stays under the wing of Jesus. No matter what you're going through today, no matter what you have to face out there, remember, that if you stand for Jesus and get real with him and plead with him to open the gates of righteousness, that's all you need. There's nothing more than that. Because if you can stand that way here, now, tomorrow, next week, just imagine 
how the gates to heaven will open for you when your time comes, because we don't know when it'll be. It's why we've come here, so that we can put all our investment in the kingdom of God, in Jesus. Welcome to the National Prayer Chapel. The message today, the twofold work of Jesus Christ. The twofold work of Jesus Christ. Mighty God, I pray that you will open this to us in such a way that our hearts are caught, that we can understand what you're trying to accomplish in us. Lord, thank you. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. The word Christ means Messiah. The work of Jesus, Messiah. John 3.16 is one of the most famous, most often quoted verses in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We need to look at some of the word meanings to catch the fullness of what's being said. First, a clear declaration that God loves, not that God hates. We need to truly understand in the depths of our heart that God loves us, that we are precious to him. It's the devil who hates us. It's the devil who lies to us. It's the devil who steals from us. It's the devil who makes life hard for us. It is not Jesus. He is not a hard man. He is a man of mercy and compassion and love. And if you're honest, most of the hard things that happen in your life come because of your choices and your decisions. And then when you're responsible for what you have said or done, things become very painful. So John 3.16 says, first off, God loved. The second thing it says is God gave. He's not selfish. He is not withholding from us. He gives to us. Now, we may not like what he gives because, frankly, some people would much rather have potato chips or Doritos than green beans. Jesus gives to us what is healthy for us. The devil gives us the sweets with no food value, just emptiness. So God gave, and what did God give? NIV says his one and only son. King James Version says only begotten son. Well, what does it really mean? It means literally in the Greek, God gave his one and only of a kind. Never before in the history of the world and never again in history will there ever be another one like Jesus. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And often when I'm reading the scriptures in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke especially, I forget that we're looking at not just a man, we're looking at God himself. 
This is who God is. He is sharing with us a living demonstration in the flesh of who he is, what pleases him, and what makes him angry. The only ones he really got angry with were the Pharisees. He never got angry with the prostitutes. He never got angry with the adulteress. He said, oh, no one is condemning you. Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you either. So God does not bring condemnation against the sinner. He brings rather blood. And it's a twofold work. We need to understand what that work is. Now, let me say something on the side. If you're discouraged today, you have a problem. If you're, if you're grumbling, you've got a problem. And it's not the problem you think it is. If you're walking around in a coma, you've got a problem. If you're walking around in a haze, you have a problem. And the problem is not Jesus. The problem is you are refusing to be crucified with Christ. You're refusing the gift he's trying to bring to you. There is victory when we let go of all of our issues. For some reason this week, I've heard more people complain than I think any week in my life. It seems that every person almost that I talked with was grumbling about something. They had issues. You know what? I don't have one issue in my life. Do you know why I don't have any issues? Because I'm a dead man. Dead men don't have issues. Go with me to the cemetery and walk over the graves of the people lying in that cemetery. Not one of them will rise up and say, how dare you walk on me? (laughs) Not going to happen. Dead men don't have issues. The only people who have issues are people who are refusing to submit themselves totally to Jesus And say, Jesus, this hurts, but you're going to work it out. Jesus, I don't know what to do, but I trust you. Feelings are not wrong. Feelings just are. It's what you do with the feelings. Do they take you down the drain? I can't tell you how many times this week in my own walk, I had to make a conscious choice. Am I going to grumble? Complain? Somebody didn't meet my expectations? You know, we can bite people, and they won't even know we're biting them. We bite them in our heart, in our mind. I started to pray about one person specifically, and the Lord interrupted me very quickly and said to me, are you going to bite them in prayer? Because I was starting to say, Lord, would you deal with this person? And of course, my dealing is different than God's dealing. I want that person straightened out according to what I think they should be straightened out to. No, God said, are you going to bite them in my presence? No, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm done. You know, the words I'm done are very precious to Jesus. When you finally come to him and just say, okay, Jesus, I get it. I'm done. I'm not going to turn away from you. I'm going to trust you. I don't feel like trusting you, but I am going to trust you. God is so pleased with the words, I'm done. I almost named this message today, I'm done. 
but we've got deep water to go in so that you'll understand what it means when I say I'm done and why I say I'm done. And it has to do with this wonderful twofold work of Jesus. If you would, open your scriptures. Go with me to Leviticus, the 16th chapter. There was a day of atonement in Israel. It came once a year. And on the day of atonement, Aaron was allowed to enter the most holy compartment of the heavenly sanctuary. And the Israelites on that day watched as he would select two male goats for a sin offering. Did you hear that? Two goats, one offering, one sin offering. Both goats are the sin offering. Begin with verse 5. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Now, these two goats are going to represent two different functions of Jesus in the salvation process for your heart. If you understand what he's doing with these two goats, now remember, they're antitypes. They're not, they're not the reality. They're just a picture, a pictorial diagram, so that as we come to Jesus, we have a guide to show us that we could understand what Jesus does for us. So Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin, so he's clean. His sins are atoned for. Now please, he still has his sin, but it's remitted. It is not forgiven. It is remitted. Do you understand the difference? If I remit something, I say, okay, I remove the cost from you. But I have not, in fact, done anything to you. Okay? But to forgive is the Greek word aphis, which means to remove, to take away from you, to remove it from you. So that means I've done something now to you. The word redeem, made up of two words, the meaning is to release, to let go, to set free. Now watch. He's to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The entrance to the tent of meeting had an altar of burnt offering. And at that altar of burnt offering, the animal's neck would be cut, the blood would be drained, It would be prepared then, the blood would be splashed on the outside of the altar of burnt offering, and the offering would be burned. There were different kinds of offerings, but that's the general sense. He is to cast lots for the two goats. Remember, the two goats represent one man, Jesus Christ. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. So one is going to be offered as a burnt offering. The blood will be shed. The other goat is called in the NIV the scapegoat. 
Do any of you in your Bibles have any other word for instead of states, uh, scapegoat? In your Bible, it says that? You have a very unusual Bible. What version? Yes. The actual Hebrew word is azelia. Now, just some history. If you have read uh, the book of Enoch, in that book there is described Azazel as the leader of the fallen angels. He is the one who is to have taught unrighteousness and warfare to the children of Adam. He is the one who led in the sin of making love to the daughters of men and producing offspring called Nephilim. The Nephilim were giants with an angelic spirit, but the flesh of a man. And they were utterly evil, wicked, men of great renown of the past. Now, in the book of Enoch, Azazel was cast hand, was bound hand and foot, and cast into darkness, into the abyss. His face was covered that he could not see light. And he is there waiting right now for the great day of judgment when he is going to be cast into the fire. Then the earth will be healed of what the angels have done to corrupt the earth. So there is one lot for the Lord and the other is for Azazel. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering to remove. A sin offering is is to cover. A sin offering, not remove. A sin offering is the atonement of covering. Okay? Remember, this is Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, when a man offered an animal sacrifice, a burnt offering, that man's sins were not removed from him, but covered over, and he was declared righteous. No man's sin could be forgiven until Jesus came and died on Calvary. So the men's sins, they were not held accountable for because it was covered by the blood of the animal, And they look forward to the death of Messiah on the cross. So at the cross, there was a retroactive forgiving of sin and a removing of sin. Now follow me. Verse 10, And the goat chosen by the lot as the scapegoat, or Azale, shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as an Azazel. I'll explain what that means in just a moment. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He can only enter in with the offering of blood, and with the prayers of God's people. Please understand, your prayers are vital to heaven. Your prayers go up before God as a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, I don't know that God the Father 
has a nose. I know Jesus does because he's in the body of a human, a divine body, but a human body. And we were made in his image. I don't know what the spirit, what God in the spirit looks like. None of us do. The glory of that vision would consume us. But that incense must be brought along with the blood. That incense represents our prayers. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Now, some of your Bibles may say propitiation cover. Let me give you a definition for propitiation. Propitiation is when I give something to someone in order to cause them to be pleased with me to win their favor. Now, it's very clear from John 3.16 that we do not need to win God's favor. So propitiation has no place and is not used in the Greek or the Hebrew. We do not win God's favor. We can't. It is Jesus who makes the way for the atonement. And the atonement we've just discovered is the sacrifice of blood. But I want to back up one step. We can say the sacrifice was the blood, but what is the blood? The blood is the life. The blood is Jesus. Jesus is the atonement. The atonement is Jesus. So did God have to win the favor of God? No. God gave Jesus out of his favor. Out of his love for us, he gave Jesus. Jesus is fully God. I'll read for you in just a moment. The fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus Christ. We're dealing with a person called Jesus who is in every respect fully God. He is the atonement. God is the atonement. But because God could not die, he became a man. He died as a man. He did not die as God. Now, I don't understand very much of what I've just said to you. I think you probably don't either. But we're going to spend a lot of time in heaven figuring that one out. But something is vital here. Verse 15, he shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain. What Jesus did when he died on the cross was for you and for me. It was God's favor that he did that, favor and love for us. So Jesus, when he died on the cross, was not trying to placate Jesus was not trying to placate God the Father. God the Father was not bitterly angry with us, even though his wrath was upon our sin. And we have to be delivered from that wrath. And so God loved, God gave, God redeemed. There is no place in our 
in our minds that we should hold any kind of notion of a vengeful, punishing God. God did not punish God on the cross. That whole notion of Roman Catholicism, that God is vengeful and angry, and God is going to come down, and he's going to demonstrate his fury against Jesus, is utterly false to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering, verse 15, for the people, and take its blood behind the curtain, and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He's to sprinkle it seven times on the atonement seat. Seven being the number of total perfection, a finished work. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites. Whatever their sins have been, He is to do the same for the tent of meeting which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes to make atonement in the most holy until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Now verse 20. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, That is, when he is finished covering the sins with the blood of the animals. He shall bring forward the live goat. Now remember, the goat that was just slain and the live goat represent one man. The God-man, Jesus Christ. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed to the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and man shall release it in the desert. Azazel literally means in the Hebrew to remove, to completely remove, to be utterly removed, sent into a realm of forgetfulness. So what's he talking about? It's the twofold work of Jesus. First, at the cross, He made atonement for us. He made provision for us. It was a finished work. Seven times the goat's blood was splashed on the most holy atonement cover. Perfect atonement. Making peace with God. A full provision. No sins were removed by the first goat. So when the first goat is sacrificed, the sins of the people are covered, but they are not removed. 
The people are the same as they were before the atonement was made, except now they're not being held guilty by God. So Jesus at the cross, when he died on Calvary, offered a perfect atonement for you and for me. All past sins covered. Full provision for our salvation, for redemption. But if we stop there, there is no removal of sin. And you continue to walk in rebellion against God. And so now you need a sacrifice again and again and again. And in this way, we say, then the blood of Jesus was no more powerful than the blood of bulls and goats. The blood of bulls and goats could not take away our sin. But if we say that the blood of Jesus cannot take away our sin, then we're left hopeless and there is no gospel. The word gospel means good news. The good news is not that you're going to be ravished by the devil and he has the victory over you time after time after time. The good news is that the second goat, Azale, means to completely remove. And so the characteristics of wickedness in our hearts are now provided for that they can be totally removed from us so that we don't continue lying. We don't continue abusing our bodies. We don't continue in sexual uncleanness. We don't continue in wickedness. Instead, we are set free. And Jesus speaking about that in John. Let me read it for you. Chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus declares, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born from above. Why? Because his sins have to be covered, atoned for, and then his sins have to be removed. He has to be a new creature in Christ. And the research is very plain today in America. Focus on the family under Jim Dobson, did the research and found that evangelical Christians go to the same movies, spend their money the same way, go to the same places for vacation, have the same hopes and dreams as those who call themselves non-Christians or pagans. There's no statistical measurable difference in the behavior of the vast majority of those who call themselves Christians and those who call themselves pagans. Why? Because they have thought they would avail themselves of the first offering of Jesus, the first goat. But they never were willing to be born from above and be made into new creatures so that they could be washed and cleansed and transformed into a new likeness of Jesus. Please, the Christian walk is not a walk of self-improvement. It's not a walk of struggling and white-knuckling at trying to overcome my sin. The Christian walk is turning to Jesus and saying, I'm done. 
Will you come now and do your marvelous work in my heart to transform me into your likeness? So at every hand, I'm submitting to Jesus. I am born from above. You see, if if it were my work, then I would have to say, I'm born by struggling in my own power. You know what? I've never, I've watched a lot of babies being born. I have two girls and eight grandkids. And I was there for every birth. I have not seen a baby struggle to be born. I've heard mama struggle. I've heard doctors struggle. (laughs) But not baby. Babies are born. Yeah, there's some pain involved. You know what? There's some pain involved in being born from above, too. But it's not our work. It's the work of Jesus. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. This incredible twofold work of God has to be accomplished. Paul speaks about this as crucifixion. I suspect that Paul's description is a little more accurate than Jesus' description. Jesus just says you're born. Paul says you're crucified. What's he talking about? All of my rampant anger, bitterness, self-worship, having my issues, going my way, all of that ends when a man is born from above. All of that ends when a man is crucified. A A crucified man does not climb off the cross and go into town for lunch. And then go back and climb on the cross again. I mean, how how insane. When a man is crucified, he gives up his life. And he now belongs to another. And he doesn't go back. Some of you have gone back to the same old sin time after time. And finally you said, you know what, I just can't overcome this. I might as well just go ahead and enjoy it. Wrong. It'll take you to hell. It means saying, I'm done. I'm going to Jesus. I'm letting him have control of my life. I surrender to him. It is now what Jesus wants, not what I want. So, when somebody says something that hurts my heart, I have three choices. I can internalize it and figure out some way to get even. Moan and groan, complain. Or I can go after them and say, you know, you really hurt me. You're you're not a very kind person. And you could probably come up with some good descriptors that you've used. We've all done it. You know, I'm mad at you. I hate you. Or some variation of that. Have you ever had your little children look you in the face and say, I hate you, Daddy? It's not a very comforting thing to happen. We have another choice. We can say, I'm done. Jesus, I give you this that was just done to me. I give it to you. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to. 
I give it to you, Jesus. I trust you to work this out. And I'm going to love my enemy. And I'm going to do good to those who persecute me. I'm going to walk in kindness. It's a choice. Colossians, the second chapter. Verse 3, speaking of Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 6, so then just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, I want you to get this, for in Christ, all of the fullness of the deity or the Godhead lives in bodily form, And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. Can I be plain with you? We should, as Christians, expect that we will not continue to walk in sin. We should expect total deliverance in Jesus, total freedom in Jesus, total freedom in Jesus, being redeemed. Again, the word redeemed means to let loose, to release. We've been redeemed. Some of you get trapped in your feelings. You need to ask Jesus to release you from your feelings. Some of you get trapped in your anger. Ask Jesus to release you from the anger. Some of you get trapped in busyness. Ask Jesus to release you from that busyness. There's only one thing that matters in this life, and that is Jesus Christ. He alone matters. We serve him. Notice. In him, verse 11, this is Colossians 2, verse 11. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. This is God's work in us. You know, I've heard people say, Pastor, I tried as hard as I could, and I just can't do it, so I'm giving up. That's a great place to start. When you're ready to give up on yourself, that's when Jesus can step in and make it happen. There's just something about us. We want to do it ourselves. My daughter, when she was just a little girl, Daddy, I don't want you to dress me. I want to dress myself. Well, we say that's a wonderful thing because we don't want to spend the rest of our lives dressing our adult daughter, right? We want to see them grow up. But growing up in Jesus means he's done it. And it's a finished work. 
It was a finished work at the cross, and now it needs to be a finished work in righteousness. I'm not talking here about immaturity. Let me be very specific about what I'm talking about. Jesus has come to you by the Spirit and He has spoken to you. Every one of you in this room, the Spirit of God has come to you and spoken to you and said, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't touch that. He comes and He is very specific with us. I can tell you in my life, if I begin to do something that the Lord is displeased with, boom, I'll have a dream. And very clearly, he'll, he'll speak his word to me. Didn't I tell you? Yes. That's enough. Yes. He corrects me. Very quickly, he corrects me. And if I continue to go against what he has said to me, the penalty is that he withdraws from me. And most are so accustomed to God's withdrawal, we're shocked when his presence comes. We need the opposite. We need to be so used to the presence of God surrounding us that we are brokenhearted when his presence departs from us. When you go it alone on your own, the presence of God is grieved and he leaves. And you're then about your day doing your deal. And the devil has free access to trouble you in every way, bring every attack against you. When you're walking in the presence of Jesus, those attacks are still going to come in power, but they will not separate you from Jesus Christ. Because you have made a vow, you will not turn away from him no matter what happens in your life. It's done. You're not going to turn away. You're going to walk it out. And as you walk it out, in spite of the pain, the joy of the Lord fills your heart. A song comes upon your lips. And you're saying, Lord, thank you. Even before the deliverance comes, you're saying, Jesus, thank you. You've delivered me. I praise you and I worship you. I honor you. I glorify your name. It's a finished work. First, an atonement. And secondly, in the removal of sin from our hearts. And as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, he comes speaking in a still small voice usually. Sometimes he'll come and it's loud and direct. But that's not at first. Usually it's just a still small moving in your spirit. Don't do that. Leave that alone. Others may, but you cannot. That's the one I hate the most. All right, Lord. Now, your walk with Jesus is going to be directly empowered or weakened by your response to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. And you alone are responsible before God for what you do with that voice. As he gives you direction, quickly obey. Say, yes, Lord. It's done. I'm doing it. I'm on my way. 
when he calls you, just a still small voice, come and spend some time and read the word. Oh, but I got it. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. Then you just grieve the Holy Spirit from you. And you open the door of darkness. You need to have a regular time every day when you sit down and read the word and pray. It's not like God is just waiting that you might perhaps deign to to pay some attention to him. He's the king of kings and the Lord. Make your appointment with him and meet it. And then through the day, listen for his voice. And when he calls you, obey. (laughs) Boldly obey. Now, the only thing that can stand against what I'm just saying to you is your own pride and your own self-sufficiency. And there's no place for that in the heart and life of a Christian. Will you or will you not serve the Lord God of heaven? Each of us must make that decision. And if we say yes, it means that we allow that second function of Jesus to strip off the flesh of the wicked man or woman and allow Jesus to recreate us in the likeness of himself so that when we see Jesus, we'll be like him. That's what this whole deal is about. Verse 11, in him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So Jesus wants us to walk in victory. The demon powers have already been subdued. We have in Jesus the victory. Now the question is, will you let Jesus have the victory in your life, in your heart? He wins us one by one. He doesn't win us as a whole congregation. He wins us one by one as we see what he did for us. And then we let him do it now for us in the removal of our wickedness. So Leviticus 16 tells us that the twofold work of Jesus Christ is, first of all, to die on Calvary, to shed his blood for us, to make peace for us with God. Only a God-man could die and bring about that peace. And then secondly, his work that he's doing right now from the heavenly sanctuary above is to cleanse us from our sin, to change us so that we don't go back to the darkness. Mighty God, 
I thank you for what you're doing in the heavenly realm right now in bringing total and complete deliverance to your people. Lord, I thank you that you made the provision that we could be holy, that you didn't just forgive us our sins and leave us to the ravaging of the devil, but we can be new creatures in you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you. I honor you. And I pray now that this work could be finished in my heart once and for all, that I would not ever turn back, and also in my brothers and sisters, that this would be a house of explosive testimony and joy in in spite of every bitter attack of Satan. We have the victory in you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to Present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy.